Locked On Bruins, your daily podcast on the Boston Bruins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Bruins fans, and welcome back to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a daily show where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL. I want to thank you for making Locked On Boston Bruins your first listen of the day. And on today's episode, we'll be teeing up tonight's final preseason game against the Washington Capitals, as well as uh, bring you a conversation with hockey historian Mike Comito. I'm very excited to uh, to chat with him. Before we get into all that, a quick reminder that the podcast is available on all platforms, so please do smash that subscribe button so that each new episode will be automatically added to your feed for you to listen and enjoy. Should also let you know that we have a YouTube channel. If you search up Locked On Bruins on YouTube, you can subscribe. The podcast will soon be available in video form there as well. Today's episode is brought to you by Fantrax. Fantrax's free NHL Fantasy Hockey League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the industry. Sign up for free at Fantrax.com slash LockedOn. You can also find the podcast on social media at LockedNHLBruins on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Ian C. McLaren. And again, once you uh, sign up to the YouTube page and I start posting the podcast there, you'll be able to get all that information there as well. So the Boston Bruins finishing off their preseason schedule tonight against the Washington Capitals. We should expect a pretty NHL-ready roster or opening night roster, I should say, uh, including Charlie Coyle jumping in on the second line between Taylor Hall and Craig Smith for the first time this preseason. It was a spot that was filled in very admirably by Jack Stanika uh, throughout the preseason. He recorded two goals and an assist and played very well uh, through the preseason playing in that spot. And now Charlie Coyle, who the coaching staff have tabbed as, you know, the more capable player at their disposal for the second line center role. He's got more experience, a veteran presence, on and on. And he's now ready to get into the lineup. He said, you can always think back to, you know, wishing he was healthy this past summer so he could get more reps in and work on things more. But the main thing is being 100% ready for game one. That's where he's at, and that's where he's going to be when the time comes. If all goes well tonight, and barring any setbacks over the next, you know, 10 days leading into the season opener against the Dallas Stars. Of course, Coyle has been penciled in as Boston's second-line center since the summer when Bruins coach Bruce Cassidy said he was the obvious choice to succeed uh, David Krejci. He's only had limited practice reps between Hall and Smith, but he believes there is time left yet to build chemistry ahead of the regular season. He did play with Smith a bit last season, and uh, he said Taylor, maybe just a shift here and there. He's only played with him, but it does help to be out there getting reps with them. All he can do is play in the one exhibition game, make sure he feels good, and then there's some practice time between now and the season opener. 
You want to be in games and play against guys that are trying to take your head off. It's a little different in practice, so he's looking forward to it, and it's only going to help. So Charlie Coyle in the lineup tonight between Hall and Smith, and we'll see how that affects Jack Stanika's bid to make the opening night roster. Uh, the Bruins were down to one main practice group on Tuesday as they get set for their final exhibition contest. And defenseman Yurho Vakaninen was not on the ice as he deals with an upper body injury. Jacobs Borrell and Carson Kuhlman also got days off after playing in Boston's exhibition game on Monday night in Philadelphia. Uh, Linus Ulmark will get the start against the Caps. But Cassidy said he has not made any decision yet on who will get the call on opening night. The Bruins did send a bunch of guys back to Providence. Uh, a few have to go through waivers, including Cameron Hughes, Tyler Lewington, and Yuna Koppinen. Uh So we'll see if those guys clear waivers. The waiver time this season has been set at 2 p.m. Eastern instead of the usual noon. And, uh, yeah, I guess congrats to the Boston Red Sox as well for winning last night's game against the New York Yankees. I know friend of the pod, Sarah Griffin, was in attendance. And uh, also Charlie McAvoy and Charlie Coyle were there, uh, which was pretty cool. Speaking of McAvoy, he's one of several players who has rotated through wearing an A on their sweaters this preseason. Uh, whether it's a permanent thing or whether it goes to Brandon Carlo, which I kind of su- suspect it will, uh, he's been honored to be deemed an alternate captain for uh, at least one game. He said it was really special. It's just preseason, but to be in this group of guys that is kind of a leadership uh, core on the team, so many amazing leaders that have come through here. He said, I don't know if it's something that's permanent or not, not something he's overly worried about, but it was really special. He said he tries to be a leader in whatever way he can, whether it's being vocal at times or just trying to lead by example. Whether you have a letter on your chest or not, I don't think that really means anything with your standing and responsibility with the team in terms of trying to push the other guys or taking charge when you need to and feel like you should. Charlie McAvoy clearly emerging as a leader on the Boston Bruins, and uh, I'm very excited to see what he can do this season um, as he continues to grow in his game. It's crazy to think that he hasn't hit his peak yet. And uh, he's just going to have a pretty amazing season, I believe. Now, like I said, we're going to be joined here in a moment by Mike Camito. He's the author of the Hockey 365 series. Uh, One book out already, another on the way. He's also a contributor uh, at LA Kings. Uh, He posts some very regular um, hockey history tweets at Mike Camito and uh, I'm very excited to chat with him here in a moment. Before we get to that, a quick word about Shopify. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility And you can reach customers online and across social networks with ever-growing suite of channel integration and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. 
Go to Shopify.com slash LockedOnNHL, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial to get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to Shopify.com slash LockedOnNHL right now. That's Shopify.com slash LockedOnNHL. Fantrax is my go-to for all things fantasy hockey, and right now, you can sign up free and be entered in to win a signed Nathan McKinnon jersey by going to Fantrax.com slash LockedOn and signing up today. It's a special offer for LockedOn Bruins fans, and if you're not familiar with Fantrax, it's a highly customizable, easy-to-use, and feature-rich hockey fantasy platform not just hockey they have all sports and it's where i host my leagues and as commissioner of some i can tell you i am never leaving fan tracks again to be entered into a draw for a free nathan mckinnon jersey signed simply go to fantrax.com slash locked on and sign up today that's fantrax.com slash locked on fan the home of fantasy sports All right, I'm happy to be joined on today's podcast by uh, Mike Comito. He's a guy that I've been following on Twitter for quite a while. He is a uh, big hockey fan. He's a hockey historian. Uh, He's got a couple uh, hockey history books, uh, one already out, another on the way. And uh, yeah, thanks for jumping on, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Thanks for having me, Ian. Great uh, great to be here. So where are you? uh, Where are you located right now? Are you up in Sudbury, Ontario? Is that right? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm at I'm in Sudbury. Um, yeah, so it's a uh, it's a nice nice week of weather here actually. So we had actually a cold rainy week last week, but apparently summer's not ready to leave us just yet. So right, I'll yeah. take it as long as we can get it up here. True, true. Who who is the uh, who's the biggest player in the league right now f- from Sudbury? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, it's got to be Nick Felino. Oh, very nice. Yeah, the Felino yeah. boys. Yeah. How? Uh, yeah. Does, do their parents still live up there or what? Do you know if they have a... They yeah, so his... Uh, yeah, so Mike Felino still lives in Sudbury. Um, and then actually uh, Nick uh, and his and his family live here in the summer. Obviously, oh, they're, uh, they're up in Boston right now, but uh, they like to spend their summers here uh, before he has to get back uh, to the grind. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully next summer he's, uh, he's bringing the Stanley Cup up there. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was fun for me as a Leafs fan to see him, you know, in the blue and white last year, obviously the Bruins, um, you know, I, I'm not going to necessarily root for the Bruins, but Nick's, uh, Nick's such a great guy. And obviously if there's a chance that he could bring the cup back to Sudbury, I will, uh, you know, I think I'll get on the bandwagon as long as it's not against the Leafs, but uh, assuming they don't play each other, I'll, I'll be cheering for Nick in, uh, in the black and gold. I've shared this on the podcast before, but I was fortunate enough when the, uh, when the Bruins won in 2011, that Rich Peverly. Uh, he's a Guelph native, so he brought the cup to uh, to the junior rink here, and there was a whole bunch of people that that gathered for that. So that that's always fun to, yeah. Part of the cup celebrations is having it uh, go from town to town, and chances are, if you live in Ontario, <laughs> it, it's uh, usually somewhere nearby during the summer at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm very interested in kind of your interest in hockey history. How how did you first of all get interested in hockey in general? Did you did you play as a kid, or uh, is it something that you're just a fan of? Yeah. So I mean, I I played on like backyard rinks uh, when I was a kid, but I never played at the organized level. My mom 
you know, the, the, I think the narrative that, that we like to agree upon is that we moved around a lot when I was younger. So that's why I never got an organized hockey. My mom likes to joke that she didn't put me in hockey because she thought it was too violent and she wanted me to get hurt. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so I mean, we're, it's somewhere in the middle between moving around a lot and my mom not wanting me to play hockey. Um, but I'd always been interested in, in the sport. Um, obviously never, you know, played at an advanced level, but I love the history about it too. Um, and obviously history is a big part of my life and I could touch on that a little bit later, but mm -hmm. You know, as an avid hockey card collector, love the cards that oh, kind of detailed, nice. you know, player's journey. I remember, you know, particular cards that I enjoyed where you would have like, you know, the Lady Bing trophy and the explanation as to why it's called mm. the Lady Bing and, you know, in, or, or other different kinds of trophies. I think it was a pro set that did that. And they had all the trophies as if they were on hockey cards. So I kind of liked getting the backstory and that, you know, ultimately kind of shaped my career path. Anyway, I got into history, um, you know, a little bit later in university. I started university, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'd always been a strong history student in high school. And then finally, after like fighting off the urge to go into history, I, <laughs> I went full on into history later in my university career. And then I ended up going to McMaster and doing a PhD there on a completely different uh, topic. I was studying the history of black bear hunting and management, um, oh, wow. you know, which probably should have made me a Bruins fan, but I had been <laughs> a lifelong Leafs fan at that point. So I wasn't going to, you know, kind of relinquish that. I but uh, bear hunting kind of fits in with uh, not being a Bruins fan, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, it was <laughs> at that time of my, my life, like every every Christmas or birthday was like somebody was always giving me bear-themed stuff, right? It's like, oh, oh wow. Mike's studying the bear, so let's get him. You know, I actually, my parents gave me like a, <laughs> a bear toilet seat that my wife refused. She's like, that's not coming into our, our house when we buy our first house. Like, you can keep it in your basement at your parents' house, but that is not coming to our house. So like, and then people are like, well, I'll get you Bruins here. I'm like, well, I don't, you know, like, let's, we got to draw the line yeah. at the Bruins. But, but anyway, all that to say that at that time, you know, I'm going through my PhD studying, you know, the history of black bear hunting. I really started to kind of like get into what was going on with, with hockey blogging and just reading more hockey uh, writing. And I kind of thought to myself, like, this might be a nice escape from, you know, the peer reviewed stuff that I was writing at the time. And that's honestly how it started. I think I just started writing for myself on my own website. And then from there, I got some other opportunities with some other blogs. I wrote for the Royal Half and LA Kings mm, right. fan blog for a year. Uh, I did some stuff with the hockey writers for, you know, maybe a few months. But yeah, it, it all kind of started like that. I mean, it was kind of the realization that the skills I was developing as a historian were transferable to hockey. Right. And I figured that I, you know, I'd always loved hockey history, never really thought that there was a place for me in it, but I think kind of the realization that as a historian, I'm developing researching and writing skills like that could be transferred to any topic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I just, it really took me, you know, like 30 years to realize that one of those topics could be hockey. Yeah. Very cool. I've been, uh, I've talked to a lot of Bruins fans that are up here in Canada. And I think I've come to a theory that, a lot of uh, Bruins fandom in specifically Ontario is traced back to uh, Bobby Orr and the fact that he played for the Oshawa Generals um, and the fact that he, when he came in, uh, you know, there, he was on Hockey Night in Canada a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, there's some validity to that? Like that there are a lot of, Bruins fans roots in Ontario because of Bobby Orr because of limited teams back when he was playing uh, and just the impact that he had on the game. Absolutely. I think if you think back, you know, to that era when there was only six teams and at the time, you know, especially in Northern Ontario where, where I'm calling from, there were a lot of guys that were making the NHL, right? And I think that a lot of the mm -hmm. allegiances in those towns were kind of rooted in, in that these were local guys that went on to the NHL. I think of, 
my mom's family is from Sault Ste. Marie, which is where Phil Esposito is from. Right, right. And my grandfather, you know, was a huge uh, Bruins fan because of Phil Esposito. They lived, you know, not far from each other. And, you know, oh, everyone man. had kind of, you know, congregated on these outdoor rinks. And so yeah. I think that there's definitely merit in that. You know, you support, you know, the guys that come from your town. Uh, and then you kind of get these pockets of, of, of fan bases, right? I think even in Sudbury, um, you know, where we have a, you know, a francophone population here. So you have a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans. You mm. have a lot of Leafs fans. But then again, you've got, you know, Jerry Topazzini was a longtime Bruin, you know, from the Sudbury area. He was from Coppercliff. And then he came back and he founded a, a bar here called the Beef and Bird, which has, oh. you know, been like, a, you know, the focal point in the community since 1977. And oh, so wow. you've got great. a lot of Bruins fans in Sudbury, I think, because of players like that who would come from here. So I definitely agree that because of, I think, you know, the demographics of the league at the time, um, you, it's, it's, it's funny, you go to di these different towns in Ontario and you might think you would assume that, it's going to be all Red Wings fans here, but there's always these little pockets all over the place because of these, you know, these personal ties that we, we often have with a lot of these players. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, I've tried to read, I will admit that I'm somewhat ignorant of like far back Bruins history. I came up kind of watching the, the late eighties, early nineties version of the Bruins before that, you know, I don't have that, deep of a knowledge i've tried to read some like i've read you know bobby Orr's autobiography willie o'ree's autobiography mm -hmm. things like that um and tried to pick up some stories here and there uh, i'm really glad that the bruins are going to be retiring willie o'ree's uh number this season um can you speak about kind of his impact not just on the bruins but on the the nhl at large like i, I still don't think people appreciate exactly what uh what he was able to accomplish and the legacy that he has formed. Um, have you, have you studied Willie O'Ree a lot and what kind of impact do you think he's had? Yeah, no, he's um, you know, when I was writing the first book, it came out in 2018 and uh, that was right before, like it was the year that we're like, I think this is going to be finally the year that Willie O'Ree gets his call right. to the hall of fame. Right. And he, yeah. he ultimately did get inducted, you know, that November of 2018. And, you know, my plan for that book was always to be, January 1st is when the book starts. And that was when Willie O'Ree scored his first goal was mm. January 1st um, when he was up with the Bruins for the second stint. And so like, I knew that I wanted to have that there because of his impact on the game, uh, you know, both on and off the ice. And I remember going through the revision process in the summer and just saying like, you know, we got to wait because he's probably going to get the call. And I want to make right. sure that the book reflects that he is going to be a hockey hall of famer and not just, you know, hopefully he becomes a hockey hall of famer. And so mm -hmm. um, we were able to kind of make that change um, for the first books so that it does reflect the fact that he was going to get inducted later that fall. Um, okay. But again, you know, I, I, I included that one story about him in the first book and in, in the second book, um, there's another story, you know, his first NHL game, you know, January 18th, 1958, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously an important milestone becoming the first black player to play in the NHL. So, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it, I definitely would agree with you that I think it's because of the fact it took so long for him to get the call. I think, you know, I, at large, I think a lot of the hockey world, you know, has underestimated his impact that he's had, mm -hmm. you know, in helping to grow the game and all of his accomplishments on and off the ice. I think that obviously has changed significantly in the last few years since he's, he's got his induction. But yeah. I think there's still a lot more work to obviously do, not only, uh, you know, to highlight other players of color who have, you know, have come before and after uh, Willie O'Ree and, and kind of, you know, better contextualizing their place in the game's yeah. history. Yeah, I think like, 
just as an example, Wayne Gretzky gets a lot of credit for kind of growing the game in California, but I think Willie O'Ree has done an mm-hmm. amazing job as well, like being based down in San Diego and, and yep. the outreach that he's done down there. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. It comes in nine delicious flavors, and you can get a box of mixed and matched flavors like coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, or German chocolate. There's also the odd special edition flavor as well, like the recent grasshopper cookie. Not only are Built Bars the best tasting, but they're also healthy too. First of all, there are nut-free and gluten-free options, which I know are important for people like me with serious allergies, but uh, they're also only about 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, about 4 to 5 grams of sugar, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order at Built.com. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Get all your sports betting action in at BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. They're back and better than ever with a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests for everything from football to hockey, baseball playoffs, basketball. Use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you sign up for a new account on their website or using your mobile device. Bet online where the game starts. Uh, you mentioned you've got one book out, another on the way. When's the when's the publish date for that one? Is it uh, pretty soon? Yeah, so it actually it came out last week oh, in Canada. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So officially in Canada it was September twenty eighth, but uh, and it's out in the states uh, later this month, October twenty oh, sixth nice. is when it officially drops in the U.S. Are there any other uh, kind of Bruins tidbits in there that not to give everything away, but that, uh, that Boston fans might find interesting. Yeah. So I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Jerry Tapazzini earlier and I've got one mm-hmm. story in there, um, about him becoming the last position player to go in net. So this is oh, back wow. in 1960 and, uh, the Bruins goaltender, Don Simmons, you know, had got injured and left, left the net to go get repairs. And rather than waiting for Simmons to get, you know, stitched up like Tapazzini went into the net without any goalie equipment, there wasn't a lot of time left on the clock, but, <laughs> Nevertheless, like he's still going net with, with, without a helmet, without, you know, any Boy, protective padding nice. or gear. Um, <laughs> he didn't face any shots, but the prospect of him facing shots, he was a pretty tough uh, son of a gun. So I don't think that that scared him off at all. But, uh, but the reason I wanted to include the Tapazini story in the book as well was because I mentioned that bar that he had the beef and bird mm. and um, it, it's basically a Bruins stronghold. If you go there, they've got the spoke bee on the outside. It's oh, wow. full of like Bruins memorabilia on the walls, Bobby Orr, Jerry Cheevers. Like it's, it's just full of all of his, uh, you know, memories from his playing days. And my father-in-law is a diehard Habs fan and he used to go to the bar like after hockey and he'd go in there with his, you know, Canadians jacket <laughs> on and uh, you know, he would order a beer and he has this story where like topper, which is what they called uh, Jerry Tapazzini, you know, brought him his beer, but he had his thumb like in the neck of the <laughs> bottle kind of saying like, I'll serve you this beer, but if you're going to wear a Canadian's jacket in my bar, you're going to have to have like my thumb in your beer bottle. That's and so hilarious. my father-in-law, you know, kind of got the hint, went back another time with the jacket on. And one of Jerry's sons said to him, I think kind of, kind of politely saying, we'd appreciate my father right, would appreciate right. if you didn't wear this again in the bar. So <laughs> the lesson is you don't wear Montreal Canadians gear in, in Jerry Tapazzini's bar. That is um, amazing. So like, that's one, but I think there's, you know, there's some from all over the place. Again, that's, that goes back to 1960 
you know, but I've got something in there about like the formation of the Merlot line, you know, mm. essentially when they oh, get Paye cool. in 2009. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other examples there with Cam Neely scoring 50, you know, in oh, 44 yeah. games, which is unofficially a 50 and 50. But uh, I wanted to include that one there because that was the last time he'd reached 50. And it was like kind of he had considered retiring at that point. Right. He had some mm-hmm. battled some injuries leading up to that. And the fact that he was able to, to get 50 goals that year when he didn't think he'd even play 50 games. Um, was pretty incredible. Yeah, that was definitely the highlight of my younger years as a Bruins fan. That that mm-hmm. team unfortunately never got over the hump. They ran into some pretty uh, excellent Oilers teams, and then the Penguins. Uh, so yeah, Neely Bork not able to win, but that season for Neely was definitely definitely the mm-hmm. highlight for me. Uh, now the cool thing about hockey history is that it's ongoing, and we got a new season coming up. Um, do you have any? Uh, any thoughts on on this season? Any big milestones coming up, or, or any team that you think uh, might finally break through? I, I'm of the belief that it's probably the Avalanche's year to win this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're of the same sentiment, but uh, yeah, what are your what are you looking forward to about this upcoming season? Yeah, so I mean, I I would agree. I think that the Avalanche would be a nice uh, that'd be a nice storyline that I can appreciate from from my vantage point. Um, I do, obviously, I don't want to, I know this is a Bruins podcast, but I, <laughs> I feel like the Leafs, this is, this is like kind of the make or break here. Yeah. Um, whether or not they actually officially get through um, remains to be seen. But I think if they don't make it over the hump this year, like we'll see a completely different squad next year, probably a different yeah. office. The Atlantic um, this year is just nuts. The, the top four teams in the Atlantic are, yeah, it's a bit of a toss up between the two Florida teams and then those two teams, uh, Boston, Toronto. Yeah, Montreal went to the final, and like I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs, which is pretty nice. Yeah, so. no, I know it's 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 pretty crazy. So I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens now that they're all back in that same division. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also do you know some writing for the Kings. Um, so like I'm also kind of keen to see what they do this year mm-hmm. with them, kind of ready to pull the switch on the on transitioning out of the rebuild into getting back into contention mode. I think that the Pacific is obviously weak enough that they could potentially make a push. It just really mm-hmm. depends on how everybody kind of comes together. I think that they've obviously added a nice mix of, of veterans this year with Deneau and, and Arvidsson, who I think yeah, Arvidsson, yeah, yeah. hopefully he's primed to have a, a big year. I think that he's ready to prove that, you know, those those two 30-goal seasons weren't that far away. And I think, obviously, if he stays healthy, he could be, you know, in that position again. So I think that – I think the Kings could make the playoffs. Um, we'll see what happens. I think last night, though, I saw that Quinton Byfield went down oh, no. in a preseason game. I don't know the extent of the injury, but it didn't look good. Um, but he's another one I'd like to keep an eye on as well. He's from, he played for the wolves for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. obviously to your point about, uh, you know, people rooting for, for guys from there from, I know he's not from Sudbury, he's from Newmarket, but yeah, you know, when junior, you see a, junior you guys see, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You see a young player come through and you, you kind of gravitate that. I mean, obviously yeah, I've definitely. had the connection with the Kings anyway, but I think because I've got to see him, you know, come in as a, an OHL rookie and then get, you know, drafted second overall last year, which is the anniversary of that today. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm always going to kind of root for the Kings and root for his development. Speaking of the Pacific, uh, I noticed this morning Darren Drager was tweeting about there might be some movement on the Jack Eichel front. I've always kind of thought he might either go to the Rangers or the Kings or perhaps the Ducks. Do you think that the Kings are happy just to stand pat with their rebuild? Or do you think that they would maybe swing big and trade some of their amazing prospects in a deal like that to, to really uh, try to go for it. I mean, I think if you can, if you, if there's always a chance to get a player of Jack Eichel's caliber, assuming that like he can get back to his old ways, yeah, like I think yeah, you yeah. have to consider that. I mean, 
you think about the Kings and like everyone for the last, you know, a few years has talked about like how rich their prospect pool is. And at some point you have to think like, not everybody's going to be able to make that team. And so you're going to have to jettison some of those guys. So I think the Kings definitely have enough, you know, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. It's just to your point, um, you know, they've added some of those veteran guys now that, you know, might get them over the hump to transition those younger guys up. But I think if they can come to a, you know, a deal with Eichel that would allow him to get the surgery of his, of his choosing and then get him back on the ice. Like, I don't know. I think you'd kind of have to yeah. really consider that. Cause that would definitely accelerate your rebuild. Um, you know, that's yeah, uh, down the middle to have uh, Eichel, Kopitar, Dano. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, nice. that's not bad. <laughs> now, before uh, I let you go, I'd like to ask people kind of what uh, they're enjoying off the ice. I noticed the, the believe sign uh, behind yeah. you. So I'm assuming that's a, uh, maybe a bit of a Ted Lasso uh, reference. Is Is that a show that you're uh, really uh, enjoying these days? Yes. Uh, So it's funny because uh, I work at Cambrian college here in Sudbury and um, you know, my, uh, my boss, uh, Christine Morrissey is the vice president of our uh, international finance administration group that I report to. And over the summer, each of our directors in our respective portfolios had to do a presentation about leadership. Mm. And, you know, typically in these presentations, somebody would read, like, it's from a book that you read or an article about leadership. And, and not to say that there's not, uh, not, not value in those, in those books or those types of work, but I wanted to kind of think outside the box. And so I did a presentation on Ted Lasso and some of the leadership lessons we can get from the show. And my boss had never seen you know, the oh. show before. And so I got her hooked on, on Ted Lasso. Oh, so nice. now it's kind of come the thing where, uh, you know, and I've, I've done the biscuits with the boss once, uh, <laughs> I've, I've unfortunately set the bar high now that every time we meet, I'm going to have to have these biscuits ready, uh, uh, but it's kind of become this thing where I've, I've been making those probably like once a week, not for my boss, but just for everybody else. Um, oh, man. That's amazing. you know, it's, it's, and they're so easy to make, like it's now, now my mom's telling me that at Christmas time, like she's not making her shortbread anymore. I have to make uh, mine, that's um, which is fine. So, I mean, yeah, definitely enjoying some Ted Lasso. Um, I must admit that at this time of year with the new book coming out, like I don't read a lot of hockey books just because there's always that moment where you might read something and be like, Mm. I got that wrong. Or, you know, I wish I would have put that in there. So I like to, I like to read a lot, but, uh, you know, right now I'm not, not reading any hockey books, although there are some really good books coming out. I think later this month, uh, Haley Wickenheiser has her book coming out. Oh, very nice. Mark Messier has a book. So, I mean, I think by Christmas time, once I've settled into the fact that, the book cannot be changed at this point. Uh, yeah, right. I'll probably pick those up, but for now I've been reading a lot of, uh, you know, I like some, I like, I've been into memoirs a lot over the summer. So oh, reading cool. some, you know, culinary memoirs, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read, uh, the last hockey book I read was Fred Sasakamoose's uh, book. And that was yeah, yep. definitely, definitely a good read. Uh, I mean, a hard read in some yeah. respects, but an important one for, for this year, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Mike, I very much appreciate you taking some time to, to chat this morning. Where can people find, uh, find you on social media and where can people order, order the books? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Twitter primarily at, at Mike Comito. Um, and then if you want to buy a copy of, I guess I could say both books now because they're mm-hmm. both out. Um, you can find them on uh, Amazon chapters are going to go in Canada. Obviously you can also order them from your local independent bookseller. So if you've got a favorite shop in town, you can, if they don't have it, you can ask them to bring it in for you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you can pretty much get it from wherever you like to buy books. Perfect. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks again for, for taking some time to chat and uh, yeah, we'll catch up uh, hopefully sometime down the road uh, through the season or, or uh, yeah. When uh, book number three comes out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks again. Right. Ian. Yeah. Thanks so much. Okay. Mike. Have a good one. You too. Cheers. Take, take care. 
Thanks again to Mike for taking some time to chat and, and be sure to check him out on Twitter if you're not already following. Uh, order his books. And uh, thank you as well for making Locked On Boston Bruins your first listen of the day. Please subscribe on whatever platform you're on and uh, be reminded that we will soon be on YouTube as well here at Locked On Boston Bruins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your favorite team every single day. <laughs>